Gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Becoming Men podcast. This is brought to you by thebecomingmen.com. I'm your host, Ray De La Nuez, and this is still the podcast for men on their masculine journey. Today, I'm going to be talking to author and speaker, Shelby Abbott, and we're going to be talking all things doubt, what to do with it, where it's coming from, what not to do with it, and how to overcome it. Check it out. Shelby, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Ray. I appreciate it. Shelby, I got to ask you, like I got to ask every guest, you can go back in time and talk to your younger version of yourself. Let's put you at 25. Knowing everything you know now, what would you say? Uh, life's going to be different than you think it will be. Uh, I think everybody's got rose colored glasses about what they think life will be like. And um, consequently, my relationship with God is going to look differently than I think that it will be. And that's for me specifically wrestling with uh, a chronic pain that I've had. I have a herniated disc in my lower back and that's been an issue in my life for 12 years. It's been the, the, the most difficult thing about my life. Like I wouldn't have picked that to say, this is the element that God will use in order to bring me closer to him and galvanize my faith. But that's what ended up happening. And it's been the worst slash best thing in my life because it has broken me of my misconceptions of who God is and how he works. But it's also strengthened me in my faith in ways that I never would have anticipated. So I try to maybe unpack that for myself early on so I maybe wouldn't be as stubborn in kicking against the goads. Um, <laughs> so I would learn a little bit quicker, maybe. Yeah. 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 No, that's a good point. I think so many times, you know, we, we challenge guys to to give a little piece of advice to their younger versions. And really the, the struggle is, would you have even listened? Would you have even paid attention? Would you yeah, have probably even, not. <laughs> exactly. You know, so yeah. that, that's, that's a huge struggle, but it sounds like what you would have said came from struggles, from doubts, from, uh, like you said, misconceptions about God. So I, I guess we'd have to jump in there. What misconceptions did you have uh, that you now know now that you didn't have when you were, you know, 25 years old? Yeah, the the phrase prosperity gospel gets tossed around a lot and uh, Orthodox Christians who believe in the truth of scripture <clears throat> would look at something like the pros they would hear the prosperity gospel and they'd be like, I don't believe that yet to a degree. I think many people believe the prosperity gospel. And I am honest enough to say that for a long time, I believed the prosperity gospel, meaning. I believed that if I put in my dollar bills of prayer and Bible study and uh, ministry, evangelism, uh, making sure that I've dedicated my life to him, even in my vocation, because I'm a full time missionary, I believe that God would spit back out to me what I would call blessings, that my life would go the way that I would want it to go. I, I realized very too late in the game uh, through all this that I've been through that God doesn't owe me anything. He's already given me everything in Christ and he doesn't owe me what I would deem to be blessings or he doesn't owe me comfort. And so that that really is kind of the the thing that I've wrestled with the most, but also looked at and kind of what I said at the beginning is just, you know, it's something that I, I've appreciated the most. Um, 
I believe the prosperity gospel and I I need to functionally kind of surgically remove that from my life as much as possible because it creeps in a lot. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I mean, it makes sense because we are taught from a very young age that one plus one equals two. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Two times two is, you know, four. I mean, like then what you do is you take that same principle and you apply it to your Christian faith. And you're like, well, if I do this and I do this, you know, looking at the Bible, like that, that must mean this or, or yeah. listening to my, my pastor uh, giving this, you know, these thoughts, these ideas, these beliefs. And I'm like, Oh, of course. And that means something is due to me. Yeah. But what you're saying is something complete. Maybe God is not an easy math type of God, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. and, and it's probably because we are so limited in our multiplications table that we can't fathom how much God multiplies what we do right. and then, yeah. and then spits it out in a completely different way. And sometimes yeah. we see it as a negative number when he's like, no, 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 no. I'm not looking at the po- at the negative or positive sign. I'm looking at the integer, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> We're right, talking about yeah. math operations here, but, but man, <laughs> some some PEMDAS coming back I'm in. Here, but I'm here for it. Yeah, <laughs> that's so good. So you said that you wrestled most with, you know, God doesn't owe me anything. I think a hundred percent of the listeners today would agree with you. Like nobody walks around saying you know, or have a shirt that says God owes me something, but we live it out. Do we, we do. Not? Yeah. We, yeah. we live that out all the time. We walk around with a swagger all the time as if we uh, are owed something by God, by certainly yeah. by other people. We're constantly in the comparison game of I'm better than they are. Uh, and, and if we're, if we're not, if we, if you're recoiling at that and saying, no, I don't, yeah, if you think about it in your heart of hearts, you do. We're all looking our no- down our nose at somebody and mm-hmm. making comparisons. And when things, when suffering hits, I think that's really when the rubber meets the road, that we really get an idea of what we truly believe about God in those moments. So while I said I was believing the prosperity gospel, I functionally never, you know, would have, you know, verbally assented to that and said, yes, this is what I'm believing, but my actions proved otherwise and your actions, how you live your functional, like theology is your true theology, not what you spout, what you actually live. And so the Lord used that in my life to say, this is what you've believed about me for a long time. And I'm going to love you enough to not leave you alone. Mm. And uh, while I said, it's been the hardest thing in my life. It's also been the best for that very reason. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've gotten more of God in this process of less of myself. Wow. Yeah. It's like, it's written in the Bible somewhere or something that that's a, that's a principle, right? <laughs> yeah. Somewhere in the back, <laughs> in the appendix, you'll, you should find something. <laughs> yeah. It's all, it's all, it splashes all over the pages of scripture. It really does. It's just everywhere. And if we don't believe that we're, we're, you know, we're supposed to suffer, you just, you haven't read your Bible. Like it's mm-hmm. not, it's not only is it all over the place st- stated theologically in places, but the, the Bible is full of people who are sufferers. Yeah. Jesus himself was a sufferer. Um, and wow. why, why should we think that just because we live in the year 2021 and happen to be in America that we're immune? Yeah. yeah. No, cause we're not actually, th- this is pretty challenging for me because it's almost like I need a yearly or, you know, semi-annual reminder that this is, this is the truth. Because the other day I, I was reading something from Charles Spurgeon and it was talking about how God, you know, 
sends trials into our lives. And, and like, I know that I know the scripture, I know where to go to in James, I know where to go to in Romans. So like, show me some of these things and, and like, understand this. But for some reason in my comfortable 72 degree house with like, um, you know, all these comforts all around me, beautiful yard, dogs, family, like everything. Like I forget that God inserts trials into our lives for a reason, for a purpose. And sometimes that purpose is not necessarily to like make you, um, you know, maybe stronger in the ways you might think, but maybe mm-hmm. make you weaker in the ways that you need to be so that you can be stronger where you need to be. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I mean, I'm looking at you right now. You're, you're a pretty ripped guy. I'm not, I'm not a muscle guy, but like in general, like when you go to the, everybody know, understands this who works out. When you go to the gym, you go there and lift weights to break your muscles down. You're literally ripping them apart yeah, so that they can build up stronger again. And you're the better for it physically. And in many ways, we could see that paralleled spiritually. When we go through difficult trials, the muscles break down in what we believe, how we think, how we interact with God, and then they build up stronger. And all the best things about my life I've found have come as a result of suffering. You can't, if you don't suffer, you're not actually genuinely living the human experience. We've all seen, you know, kids who are spoiled rotten from day one, they get a, they get a, you know, a ridiculous car when they're 16 uh, because their parents give it to them. They're raised in, you know, affluence and they get whatever they want. Those people often, you know, they're not, it's not like they're irredeemable, but those people often are the most insufferable people because they think they deserve everything because they've had a cushy life. The people who have character and integrity are often people who have gone through extreme difficulties in some form or fashion. And they realize they're, they're humble and they realize that, you know, nothing is, is owed to them, so to speak. Um, of course, there's always exceptions to the rules, but in general, people who are the most wise are the people who have been ripped apart before. Yeah. Well, you know, then I can, I can see a young man vibing with what you're saying and then thinking, well, crap, I haven't suffered. I guess I'm not, (laughs) I'm not doing a good job as a Christian. Okay. I need to go somewhere and suffer right now. (laughs) No, no, no. I mean, we don't want to intentionally move into that kind of thing. We, we, we need to believe that the Lord knows exactly what he's doing because he does. And that we shouldn't be surprised by suffering when it does come around. I'm not saying like everybody's going to get a cancer diagnosis when they're a certain age way too early. And that might happen. There's suffering that happened in all forms of fashions. Mine has been in the element of physical suffering which again, I never would have predicted for myself, but that just doesn't, that doesn't mean that I'm any better than someone who's suffered more mildly or that, you know, I'm worse than someone who's lost a a loved one. It's, it has, it's not that at all. The end of John shows us when Jesus, when Peter's talking to Jesus and he's like, what about this guy? And, and he's pointing at John and Jesus goes, well, what's that to you? That has nothing to do with you. Like you follow me. And I think we can, we want to uh, attach a formula and, yeah. a, and a kind of a template to the way everything should go. Right. Suffering is going to happen in your life in some form or fashion. It's just going to, it's inevitable. Yeah. And it's also polarizing. It will push you in one of two directions toward bitterness and anger at God for what he's quote unquote done to me, or toward a more robust, more deep, more personal, intimate, loving relationship with the suffering Christ. And we have, we have a choice to do one of those two things. And so uh, pick the right choice when the times do come. And if you're not picking that right choice, 
feel free to always course correct in the middle of those choices. Um, so don't be afraid of that. Just know that also in the middle of all of that, God, you're in God's hands and he, he is eternally good and eternally loving. That should provide us with comfort that the one yeah. behind all things loves us and cares about us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I'm picking up exactly what you're laying down. I, I, and I see that necessity to understand that we should not be pain averse right? To just do everything we can to run away from pain. But sometimes we actually need to press in and then embrace it and find God in that struggle. Because ultimately we are told we should be laying down our lives. And if, if, if Jesus laid down his life, if he struggled, if he faced the persecution that he did, who are we to think that we are going to just live at Cush, right? Yeah. Like we are just going to just cruise on by. And that's really the danger of, um, some of the masculine journey today, a lot of men just kind of, they, they hop into the figurative front seat of a, the, you know, their, their man car. And then they go 60 on, on a, some freeway. They don't even know where it is or where it's heading, but they hit cruise control. And they're like, well, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. I'm just going wherever I'm going. And then as soon as you see, like, you know, think about how bothered we are by traffic. You're like, ah, damn it. You know, like, why? Why me? Why? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We bring our, we bring our theology with us wherever we go. Mm. Um, it's yeah. The traffic example is a good one. It's like, you could be stuck in traffic and late for a meeting and like banging on the steering wheel and look to your right and see a person who's just bopping to the music, enjoying the fact that they get a couple extra minutes yeah. before the chaos of where they're going to. They're in the exact same situation, but yeah. they've just brought their experience and interpreted that situation into it, which I think is a good reminder that regardless of what comes our way, we need to know that, like I said, God is good and he's loving, but also what we believe about God and what we believe about ourselves, we drag that with us wherever we go. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. And I think this is kind of a really good segue into um, your book, Doubtless, and being able to just kind of unpack, you know, what it is that we should be doing with our doubts, what our doubts are, and, and from a, um, standpoint of a young man understanding like, is this normal? Is this what should be happening? I guess maybe I could lead in uh, by way of, uh, of a story or, or my situation right now. Uh, I'm choosing to not be uh, vaccinated, which could possibly cost me my, my career here. I've been in the military moving on eight, uh, sorry, moving on 11 years now and uh, throwing away 11 years plus everything else that I've, uh, I've acquired here is, is pretty difficult, but I feel this conviction and I, and I'm standing before this, this mandate and saying, you know, I will not bow down essentially. And I find myself wanting to feel, you know, so sure about my conviction that this is an easy just process, you know, that I can stand firm on this rock and just say, this is what I'm going to do no matter what but I would be lying if I told you that I haven't been up at one o'clock in the morning, talking it over with my wife for the 15th time in a row, if I'm Mm -hmm. actually doing the right thing and then actually driving at home or driving to work the next morning, thinking about my conversation and then kicking myself in the butt for doubting because I'm like, Oh, I should have more faith if I'm choosing this. And I feel like God's leading me to this. Where's my faith. Now I'm now I'm beating myself up all day about not having enough faith. And then I go home and repeat the same process. And real quick, you can find a young man in a spiral towards depression of, because he's in this, in this loop sure. between faith 
and wanting to stand firm, having a polished faith and then doubting and then beating himself up about his lack of faith. And then you get what I'm saying. Yeah. What do you think? I think that um, it's never about how much we faith, how much faith we have. It's about where our faith rests. Um, I think that, you know, if, if God calls us to have the faith of a mustard seed, that's pretty small, a small faith. It's just about where that mustard seed of faith is. And so I'm not, it's not ever have more faith. It's place your faith in the right place. That being said, the pages of scripture teach us pretty clearly that doubt is permissible. The Mm. Psalms are, uh, flooded with people who are doubting all the time about the goodness of God. Psalm Psalm 88 in particular doesn't even make the turn at the end and say, but God is good and I will trust in the Lord. No, it ends on a pretty somber note. Um, I ran across this quote from a pastor who said the Psalms give us permission to beat on God's chest. And I Mm -hmm. love that kind of visceral imagery. It's just be honest about stuff. If you've ever seen like a hysterical person crying into someone else's chest and kind of like, beating at them with their fists. They're angry, but they're with at the same time. I think that's really the key. Um, And if we don't, if we go, oh, that's the Old Testament, you know, New Testament, most people hop to Doubting Thomas, which, you know, it's a good illustration, but I think a better one is uh, John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the precursor to the Messiah. He was the one who pointed out Jesus and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one who baptized Jesus. And when he did, the literal sky opened up above him. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus. And then he heard an audible voice from heaven say, this is my son. So we would think, you know, John the Baptist never have any room to doubt for the rest of his life. Right. Yeah. But not not much longer. He's in jail, getting ready to be uh, executed. And he sends two of his disciples to Jesus to say, ask him if he's the one or if we should expect another. And some people might read that and go, really? Like you heard the audible voice of God. How can you doubt? How can you still doubt if Jesus was the one? But uh, oddly, that, that provides me with a lot of comfort because if John the Baptist can doubt and he heard the audible voice of God, he was a relative of Jesus, then... Uh, I have permission to doubt as well. And so I I think one of the misconceptions that we have, especially today, is we equate doubt with unbelief and they're not the same thing. Um, Unbelief is unbelief is an intentional decision that someone comes to to say, like, for example, there is no God. Like, I do not believe that uh, anymore. Doubt is a process that could come into your life and go out of your life, come in and go out, but it's not like a a permanent decision. Just like temptation is not the same thing as sin. Mm. Doubt is not the same thing as unbelief. Now temptation can lead to sin and doubt can lead to unbelief, but they're not equal to one another. And so I think it's, it's important that we use the correct terminology that when someone's doubting, we don't hit the panic button or if we're doubting, where you think, oh, no, am I, am I not a Christian anymore? And like, mm-hmm. and we have a tendency to just overreact or in, a, in a kind of spiritual knee-jerk reaction, like, oh, my gosh, this is really, really bad. Actually, doubts can be a good thing. They can strengthen your faith. Like I mentioned before, they could come into your life and shake things up for a while, um, but they could leave you the better for it if we deal with them appropriately at the time. And by that, I mean, we could do 
there could be several practical things that we can do to deal with them well. And I think probably the most important one is to not do it alone. So you mentioned talking to your wife and having conversations with her. That's a great place to start. Bring people in to your life and be honest. We all need someone in our lives, especially as men, to have someone older or maybe like just wiser. Maybe they don't have to be, you know, age wise older, but just someone to to come into our lives and be a hundred percent honest with them. And they're not going to like recoil or they're not going to go, you shouldn't, you shouldn't say like they, we need to, we all need that person in our lives. Cause if we don't have someone like that or multiple people like that, we're going to deal with it as an Island. And Christianity was never meant to be a solo thing ever, ever, ever. Yeah, man, that that's such a good point. And I think it just points to the, the fact that whenever a man sits by himself, uh, in his own thoughts, right? That's a that's a perfect recipe for the enemy to come in and just start start going, start repeating this tape and showing these old clips of like, yep, remember you didn't you doubted here, you didn't have enough faith here, you sucked here, and remember when you fell here, and then you, it's it's that again that spiral into deeper unbelief. You know, if you continue in that cycle, like you said, of doubt. Um, but yeah, when you bring it into the light. That's really what you're doing when you're inviting somebody else in, you're shedding light onto this doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, but first, like, like you said, you almost have to, you know, allow it in your life. You have to say this is permissible. And as a, as a man who's wanting to be faithful, wanting to be authentic, wanting to be bold in his faith, I, I feel like that does not compute, right? Like I I'm trying to have this polished faith that says, I, I know who God is. I know what God is doing in my life. I know my purpose for my life and I know my convictions. So when this thing called calls doubt comes in and, and maybe I'm picturing like a crow circling a tree comes and lands, I get super uncomfortable, right? Super freaked out because I'm like, this thing should not be here. Um, why is it ruining my, my, my perfect tree? Does it, does, do you see that picture? Yeah, but you could, you could play the should game all the time. <clears throat> I should eat better. I should sleep more. I should <laughs> speak more kindly to my children. I should do lots of different things. But if you live there, you're yeah, th- there's a difference between experiencing doubt and then and and fear and worry and anxiety and then walking in it. Walking wow. If you think about what walking, the physical act of walking, it's, you know, something steady, repeated steps that you can keep up in a sustained way for like a a long period of time. That's what walking is. Nobody would ever fault me as a dad for experiencing fear and anxiety. Like if something happened to my daughter, like she got hit by a car and I was taking her to the hospital. Nobody would look at me and go, you shouldn't be afraid. You shouldn't be worried. You shouldn't feel anxious about your daughter's safety right now. That would be callous and horrible to say something like that. But there's a difference between experiencing that in in little flashes here and there throughout my life and then walking in it. Walking really seems to be where God draws the line and says, uh, you are becoming characterized by this. And if you're becoming characterized by this, this has become your identity. And so I think that we feel like, well, if I experience doubt in my life, then that is my identity. And that's not true. If you want a polished version of Christianity, like you're never going to get it. Like it's not in the scriptures. Like 
everything is grimy and gritty and honest and real. When we read the Bible, we see that like God understands humanity. He understands who we are, how we're prone to think and feel what we're bent to believe. And the Israelites needed reminders all the time mm-hmm. to not forget about God. And uh, we need the same thing too. We're constantly being discipled by our culture. We're being discipled by our own sinful nature. We're being discipled all the time. And if we don't renew our minds with the true North pointing good news of the gospel that's revealed to us in the scripture, we're going to start to bend and be taken, you know, downstream along with so many other people who don't follow their own creator. And that's dangerous. So there's, there's people that we need to have around us. We need to remind ourselves of the gospel. Uh, We need to be intentional about understanding that we're not going to get it right. And that the gospel is by nature, a gospel of grace. It can't be earned. It's given to us by God. And if it can't be earned, it can't be unearned. So stop worrying about the fact that, Oh my gosh, do it. It should be like this. I'm scared that this is going to like impact. Well, yeah, maybe it should be a little bit better, but like, don't call into question whether or not you're actually believing whether or not God is real every single yeah. time you doubt. Right. Um, in the book, I, I equate doubt to like a house guest. If you have someone come over and stay at your place, maybe you have a one bedroom apartment and they're sleeping on your couch and they're putting dishes in your sink and they're using your bathroom and it's kind of messy and dirty. But when Sunday rolls around at the end of the weekend, they're always meant to pack up their stuff and leave. And far too often we as believers treat doubt, not like a house guest, but like a permanent resident they're sleeping on a couch. And then they, all of a sudden they pitch a tent in the living room and it's like, Hey, you're, you're shaking things up here. Like all the time, pack up your stuff and leave. So let's not like celebrate our doubts, which some people have a tendency to do, but let's not be afraid of them either. Yeah. Like tell them to go where they belong once they come in and we can be the better for it as a result of, uh, you know, things coming in and, and disrupting our lives. It can make us wow. stronger. Wow. That makes so much sense. And even using that same picture that I, I brought up earlier with, uh, you know, some kind of crow coming in and trying to land on this polished tree. Like as long as I don't let that thing nest there, yeah. like it, the fact that it came in and landed like that, that doesn't say anything about me. Right. Yeah. Um, or shouldn't define me, I should say. Uh, but yeah, if I, if I start saying <laughs> all crows come here, you know, and start making nests or helping them make their nests. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's a, there's a distinct <laughs> there's a difference. difference there. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's, that's such a good point, man. And actually you brought up something about society and I want to go there for a second before uh, I, I, we hear from you about what, we, what it is that we actually should be doing with our faith. Um, how do you see that society is maybe exacerbating this problem, this uh, kind of conflict between our inside of ourselves, between ourselves that, that says, uh, you know, I should be believing this and I'm not believing this, or I'm doubting in this area. What's society doing to make that worse? Um, I think... <laughs> I said this recently to a group of college students and I saw puzzled looks and I'm like, once I unpacked it, I felt like they understood a little bit more. We live today in a society of what I would call soul crushing moralism. Hmm. Now society would not label it as moralism, but they've got a set of rules. And if you don't live up to a certain standard and you don't say things a certain way and you don't believe a certain perspective, you're excommunicated, you're canceled, you're out. 
And weirdly enough, religion has responded with a moralism of their own, you know, do the law, obey the, obey the laws of what the Bible says, do this, behave this way. Don't ask those questions. Um, vote this way, act this way, behave, behave how you should. And it's just moralism fighting moralism. Um, and so I, I think that's happening and what we need to focus on as believers and followers of Jesus is the fact that Jesus, the way of scripture, the way of Jesus is not one of moralism. It's, it's a way of grace. It's a way of like being given to us. And so I think that we, when we understand the grace that's been given to us, we will be able to interact with culture in a way that doesn't again look what I was saying before look down our nose at culture mm-hmm. and go those stupid foolish people we will interact with them in, in in the way of grace because we realize that we're not better than anyone it we're not you know I didn't deserve what God did for me why right. would I think that I'm better than anybody else because right. I'm not I'm not better than anybody else and when you recognize that uh, you'll interact with people with more humility, more graciousness, more kindness. You'll treat people with dignity in ways that the culture refuses to do with anyone right now. And so yeah. I'm hoping that people will see that eventually. They go, this is just like everything about culture right now is oppressive. It's just so, so like pushing, pushing, pushing. And the way of Jesus in the way of grace it's just such a stark contrast to that. And it's so refreshing to know yeah. the truth of the gospel that offers such a radical alternative. Oh yeah, man. It, it's like the complete opposite, the way of Jesus, because I, I'm thinking about uh, the time I lived in a 40 foot RV, uh, moved from a four bedroom house into a 40 foot RV with three kids. It was awesome. <laughs> so and, that's uh, suffering. That's trials. <laughs> I, I suffered. Okay. Yeah. You suffered a lot. And, uh, on my 28th birthday, no 27th birthday, we decided to go on a trip, went down a one, a one way road that had no roundabouts and no way for me to back up this thing. And I was tested my friend. Um, and I don't know if you've ever, you know, had to back up a trailer, right. But like when you're looking at it from in a mirror, plus this thing is 40 feet and it's dark. Uh, I'm on a one lane dirt road. Like Mm -hmm. everything is backwards. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you have to look at it and, you know, if you want to go right, you have to go left. If you want to go left, you got to go right. Everything has to be in like, you know, certain adjustments. And man, I just got to like, that's Jesus right there. (laughs) Like everything is backwards. You know, when you're looking at the mirror and you're like, well, Jesus said that we, you know, ought to, um, or no society says that we ought to do this and, and seclude people like this, or maybe, you know, only stick around with the people that believe this. And Jesus is like, no, uh, actually the complete opposite of that is <laughs> what I want yeah. you to do. Uh, yeah. The way up is down. The way yeah. forward is back. Mm-hmm. Jesus cares about the, the, the poor, the weak, the marginalized. Yeah. He puts, he said, Jesus, those people, he said to the Pharisees, those people, the sinners and the tax collectors, they get into heaven before you do. And wow. the Pharisees at the time were like, you're insane. This is insane. Like, what are you talking about? We've dedicated our lives. And what they've, what they've done is just, just peacock. They just show off that this is who I am. I am amazing. I've done all the right things. And Jesus constantly communicates. It's people who recognize that you'll never be able to save yourself who are able 
to be saved. Exactly. Uh, and yeah, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, the, the inverted principles of the kingdom. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I guess then, you know, that only leaves us with, you know, what are some of the inverted principles of the kingdom with how we should be dealing with our doubts? What should we be doing this as young men facing real challenges, real doubts today? What do you think? Um, I think there's several things that, that you could do as a young man. I think one of the things we have a tendency to, to do is, is uh, neglect being thankful. I think uh, it's in those moments when you're tempted uh, to believe that God hasn't blessed you is the time when you should really pause and count your blessings. Um, I think, well, I'll, I'll tell you a little story. So in our, in our family, we do this uh, thing on Sundays called family devotions. And uh, when my daughter was four, she called them family demotions, which was amazing. Uh, I got taken down a peg every Sunday. Uh, so we, <laughs> we, we do like a little Bible study and we do prayer and, and uh, every now and then I'll bust out the guitar and we'll sing. But at the end, we, we all get like a slip of paper and we write down the things that we're thankful for on this little piece of paper. And then we go around and share them. We write our name and the date, and then we put them in this like Mason jar with a little slit on the top. And we watch the thankfulness pile up over, over the, the weeks. And then at Thanksgiving every year, we unscrew the lid and dump it all out into this big bowl. And we pull out all these little things that we were thankful for over the time. So not only do we intentionally pause at the end of the week and remind ourselves of the things that we were thankful for with, with kids, which is, you know, it's a, it's a very simple thing to do, but it's like, Oh, let me think intentionally about what I'm thankful for everything from the weather to the fact that, you know, this, this positive email came in to the fact that God reminded me of this in scripture, everything that we can intentionally be thankful for. But then at Thanksgiving, we're pulling these things out and say, Oh, I forgot about that. I forgot yeah. about what God did because we're very forgetful people. Hum humans are constantly forgetting all the ways that God has blessed them. Yeah. The fact that I've been suffering for such a long time has a tendency to make me forget the fact that I'm, I've, I'm, need to be thankful in a billion other ways that God has blessed me that yeah. I constantly take for granted. And so I think thankfulness can fight back against doubt in ways that are more powerful than we would initially give it credit for. Um, so there's a reason the Israelites would, you know, say, let's, let's pause right here and, and make a, an altar mm -hmm. to remember what God did or, you know, the Ebenezer, all those stones that they would pile up. Let's, let's, let's remember what God did here. This is a physical representation. I mean, even when you, I heard this from a pastor recently, even like circumcision, circumcision is like every time you pee and every time you have sex, it's like, <laughs> God, God, remember God. That's what that was. That's a remembrance of like, remember God. Uh, and that's important. You know, yeah, we need to yeah. physically, I have a tattoo on my arm, like with the initials of my wife and my kids. So I remember to pray for them because I realized I was wow. awful at remembering to pray for them. And like, wow. we need to constantly remember the ways that God has blessed us and richly given to us so that we could fight back and say, you know what? I'm doubting whether or not he's good. Oh, by the way, yeah, I have, I have this in my life and God has blessed me with this. Everything from I could breathe and smell a soft pretzel mm -hmm. in a mall to I, I love my wife and uh, she's the greatest blessing that uh, humanly speaking that I've ever received. I don't often take the time to intentionally be thankful for those things. And that's, yeah. a, that's a great way to, to fight back. Yeah. Wow. What a good point. And 
that's actually probably one of the first things that goes whenever we end up feeling like we're suffering or like we're going through it. We go right into the moping or complaining or whining and the grumbling, which by the way, like grumbling kept the Israelites going around in circles in the wilderness for 40 years. (laughs) There are consequences. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, okay. So then you say, Hey, if you're facing these things, these doubts, um, maybe look back, reflect, have a memorial of, of what God has done for you. Yeah. Reflect. Uh, and again, like I said, do it in the context of other believers who care yeah. about you surround yourself with the right people who will, um, call you toward godly living and remind you of who you are in Christ. And then, uh, preach the gospel to yourself on a continual mm-hmm. basis. When we remember that the son of God gave up his life in order to be with us. There's one thing we can't say is that um, God doesn't care because Jesus Christ is, is proof of the fact that God cares that he's with us in the process of going through our trials. Yeah. He understands better wow. than anyone what it's like to suffer. And we can't say you don't get me to God because yeah, he does. And right. Jesus Christ is the proof of that. And so reminding ourselves of the fact that the gospel, when we preach the gospel, to our own hearts, it reminds us that, oh yeah, at the the very least, uh, God understands. I mean, I may not be able to see it from every angle, but he does. And because he's good and he's gone through it before, he's suffered ultimately for me. And uh, I can suffer in this moment because I know he's with me in the process. Man, you're hitting these spot on because then again, maybe one of the, one of the first things with thankfulness that goes whenever you're dealing with these, these types of doubts, these trials is now you're kind of maybe estranging yourself from the word and you're separating yourself from truth. And the thing that you need to be being fed by, you're actually neglecting and maybe you're starting to consume something else, or you're giving way for something else to come in and fill those, fill those holes, those God-sized holes. Yeah. And you were talking about spiraling. I mean, you can't cure a hangover in the morning with a shot of tequila and a beer. I mean, you can, but you'll lose. So, yeah. but, and that's what we often do. We, we have trouble. We move away from God and we think the solution is to move further away from God yeah. or further neglect. And it's just foolishness. It's foolishness. If we, if we have a view of God that he's kind of standing there, arms folded with a clipboard and a checklist of all the things we've done wrong with a, with a furrowed brow and a scowl on his face, then yeah, we're never going to run back to God. But if we right. screw up or if we wrestle with these doubts and we run to him in the process, knowing that his arms are open wide, he's running back to us. He wants us to come to him. That's a very different conception of, of how we're going to process our doubts and how we're going to even think about God in, in the wrestling match that happens. We need to cling to him as opposed to run away from him. That's so good. I've I've heard somebody say, if you feel like you're going through a tough time, go ahead and go to Psalms one and read all the way through until you find yourself, you should find yourself somewhere in between Uh, Psalms one all the way to the end of it, because um, you're not the only one that's gone through it. And you'll, you'll find yourself in there. And I always, my thing is whenever I'm feeling it, I need to go back and reread Romans five, six, seven, and eight, five, six, seven, and eight. I, I, I focus on there and I remind myself of how much it is not me. I'm dead. God paid a high price for me. Like it is Jesus. I'm seated with Jesus. Like, man, I'm a son, Mm -hmm. an heir. Like Mm -hmm. all of those things are enough to get me at least back to center core. And I, I think some of the things that you're pointing out really is 
they're, they're easy principles. And because they're so easy, they're easy to get away from. And, but I'm picturing, you know, a tennis match, you know, that we both know you're not a tennis player uh, or a tennis professional. I'm sure. Am I, am I correct in guessing that? Correct. That's right. <laughs> but, but you know that if you were to get on the tennis court right now, the best place to be would be in the center of the court. Because if you're going to go ahead and get a volley from somebody else, you don't want to catch yourself on the far right side when they're about to spike it to the left, right? So the faster we get to center, the faster we can get back to the center of the court where we can stand agile, you know, light on our feet, waiting for that next volley, the faster we are going to be able to get back into the right mindset to not, not solve the problem, but at least see a light in the problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's important that again, in the context of community, because sometimes we can't, our blind spots are by nature blind. We can't see them. We need people who will lovingly point them out to us. We need some, we need someone who's annoying enough to get in our face and say, call us toward godly living. You know, they need to say, Hey, this, this is an area where you're off center and you need to look at this and address it. And if we, if we, come to the table with a posture of humility. I've, I've discovered more and more as I've gotten older, I'm 44 now, as I've gotten older, I could trace almost all my problems back to my own pride. Mm. Almost all of my problems come from my own pride. Wow. Um, I have, of course there's things a bit that have been done to me, of course, but, uh, the reason I argue most of the time with my wife is because of my own pride. The reason I get angry with my, my kids when they don't behave the way I want them to is because of my own pride. The reason yeah. I respond defensively when someone calls me out on something is because of my own pride. If someone says something truthful about me, that's hurt, hurtful. If I'm honest with myself, I'm way worse than actually what they're, what they're calling me out on. Yeah. And so again, if I, if I approach things with a, a perspective of humility, uh, you're just going to grow a lot better. You're just going to love life a lot more. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean we get walked on. We, we, we do, we don't live our lives as a doormat. It's not that, but at the same time, Jesus was the ultimate example of humility. And yeah. if anybody deserved to be exalted, it was Jesus and he was constantly kicked down. And so, um, yielding my rights and, and living with a posture of humility will get you far in this life spiritually. That's so good. Oh man, that's so good. So I, I got, if you're dealing with doubts right now, gents, one of the best things you can do is cling to thankfulness, run to it, preach the gospel to yourself, find truth, and also get around a good community of people who are going to be able to call you out as you are, right? Call you like as your identity in Christ and be able to point you to the way. Um, and that's, that's really the best thing a, a community can do for you. Uh, yeah. Often we find, we try to find people who have the answers and, and that's ne- not necessarily the right thing, right? Sometimes it's just somebody who can walk alongside you. So Shelby, is there, is there any other nuggets of wisdom that you would want to pass on before I let you go here? Yeah. Well, when it comes to doubts, I'd say um, there's nothing new under the sun. Your questions are questions that have been asked for 2000 years. And so a lot of times I've noticed this a lot with young people, the kind of arrogance they come at, uh, they, they kind of drop with this, Oh, well, what about this? And I'm like, well, that, that question was asked, you know, 1400 years ago and addressed quite nicely in this book. So I think that 
we need to immerse ourselves in good Orthodox reading books, both ancient and modern, um, have addressed your questions in, in really, really helpful ways. And there's a variety of resources that are out there. So read, we should be readers. Um, and most of the time when we're spouting off stuff in our emotional responses to life circumstances, and we're doubting, um, we should have a, a bedrock of good, um, orthodox reading that would be able, we'd be able to lean on of course scripture we want to be in scripture but uh reading is so so fundamentally important when it comes to your doubts because if yeah. you don't have that base there you're just going to be thrown wildly off track That's so, so good. the more the older i get the more i read yeah. uh and i wish and i wish i could go back you're talking about that go back and say something to your younger self read more read. but i yeah. just hate it i hated yeah. reading when i was young when i was like in college i was like i don't want to read i'm already reading for class and then yeah now it's like screens are everywhere. And so I want to watch something or play something or do something like that. But reading will get you way further than watching that binge, watching that next episode of Ted yeah. Lasso or you know, <laughs> as good as that show is. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? You know, yeah, so I, I think if the more 100%. you read now, the better off you'll be in the future. Yeah. In, in the Marine Corps, we are very adamant about getting our young warriors to read because ultimately what it comes down to is this, you do not have enough time in, in your lifetime to be able to learn everything that you need to learn for the battlefield of life. So therefore mm -hmm. consider it unethical of you. This is, this is how serious we are about it. Consider it unethical of you as a leader to take men into battle and not be better equipped for the, the circumstances that you might find yourself in. Yeah. And, and something yeah. that you could have solved by simply sitting down and reading a 150 page book, yeah. you know? Yeah. So yeah, such a good point. So Shelby, where can guys get a hold of you, uh, find your, your, your book and, and everything that you're doing. I know you got a podcast going now. You just released your first episode. Yeah, I did. Uh, I got, I'm doing a podcast with Paul David Tripp, which was, um, really been really fun. I'm starting another podcast. It's, it's coming out in the spring of 2022, wow. uh, but most of my stuff, you can just find me at my website, which is shelbyabbott.com. Two B's, two T's in my last name. Mm -hmm.